episode 52 of the Walsh and Apps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about running an independent publishing company with my guest, Amy Barrickman. Founder and owner of Indigo Junction, Amy Barrickman is a creative leader in the fabric arts industry. In 1990, Amy founded Indigo Junction, a sewing pattern and book publishing company, which has published over 1,200 pattern titles and 80 books. Amy develops products not only for Indigo Junction, but also for licensed programs with leading manufacturers in both the craft and gift industry, including her Crossroads denim fabric line with James Thompson Company. Amy's most recent book, The Magic Pattern Book, was published by Workman in 2014. Amy has a passion for all things vintage and has an impressive collection of textiles, handmade fabric, and needle art. This collection is the inspiration for much of Amy's work, including her book, Vintage Notions, and newest fabric line, Vintage Made Modern with RJR Fabrics. Amy Barrickman, welcome. Thanks, Abby. It's fun to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. So you live in Prairie Village, Kansas, which is outside of Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm wondering what the craft and sewing scene is like in Kansas City. Well, uh, it's exciting, Um, especially recently, for instance, um, the uh, Modern Quilt Guild is, I think we have one of the largest chapters in the country. Um, We also have a really great um, maker community. uh, One of my favorite things to do each month is to go down to um, First Fridays in the West Bottoms. And this is an area where a bunch of warehouses have been converted into um, vintage venues of DIY as well as uh, wonderful antiques and just tons of creative inspiration. So I feel really fortunate to be in the Kansas City community. Um, just a great, great lifestyle here in the Midwest, and and great to have the community of creativity. We also have Hallmark based here, and they have brought um, national and international artists in that work at Hallmark, and many times um, those artists. Uh, are the um, crafters or the makers that I find at um, art fairs and and markets. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty perfect spot for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. Do you work from home? I have a studio that I work at from home, and the business then also has a warehouse that um, stores our our books and patterns. And so we ship from a, a secondary location, but yes, I'm fortunate that I, I do work at home. Nice. And and do, so do your employees commute to your house? Yes, I do. And they work at home too. So we I have see. meetings in the office and, um, there's a little bit of both that happens okay. and, and how often, pretty well. Yeah. How often do you have to go down to the warehouse and like manage that part of it? Almost never. Uh-huh. So that's nice. It can be all done through email and um, correspondence through email, really. I don't remember how many years ago we took the inventory um, out of our home location and then moved it to a warehouse. It's a fulfillment warehouse. They essentially fulfill for other companies as well as ours. Um, so it's a neat it works well. Yeah, because that's their business. They know how to fulfill orders. And so they've got it down to a science and they just sort of fit you in as one of their clients. 
Correct. That's really cool. Interesting. That sounds like a good thing considering how many patterns you have and things. So, um, so you grew up in Iowa and your mom, Donna was a home economics teacher and she was a designer. She designed sewing patterns for clothes and for bags when you were a child. And then she opened a craft store called Donna's in Valley Junction, Iowa, which she ran for 25 years. And were you in the store often growing up? You know, I, I was in the store often. However, I had, when I was in high school and I saw her selling, um, and managing this retail business, she also made teddy bears. And that's really where she started teaching classes on making teddy bears. So I ended up launching in high school, um, a custom or a, um, teddy bear company where I would manufacture, um, teddy bears from vintage, I'd go to the Salvation Army and find old coats that had a, you know, really interesting fur. I'd buy mink stoles. And so she led me in that direction. So I really didn't work in her store. Um, I actually worked down the street at a dress store, a, a high-end dress store. Um, but I was always um, in this little Main Street community um, working. And she was her store was down the street from, from my job. So we... I learned a lot through that experience um, that has helped me, you know, today mm-hmm. be able to do what I'm doing. And so her store was a craft store. What did that mean? What is a craft? Like, what did she sell besides that she sold teddy bears? We sold supplies for teddy bears. Then she would sell my bears that I had manufactured. She, we did everything from, um, oh, duplicate stitch on sweaters to Sharon Schnitt, which was a cutting of paper and making lampshades technique. Um, Yo-yos, when they first were, you know, had their first resurgence, um, she did a lot with um, fabric projects. She taught classes. She, the one thing I remember about products that she carried, so when she started teaching crafts and had this retail store, she diversified into carrying some clothing and gift products. And one of her early lines was Vera Bradley before it was at that time, it was, um, quilted jackets and, and skirts, um, and a few purses. So she diversified from crafts into fashion. She eventually was a dealer for Brighton jewelry, um, and really had a, a following, um, there in the Midwest, because her store had so much, you know, unique merchandise and so much energy as far as product goes. Um, she was a really great retailer and merchandiser. Um, and so that was, you know, I think it's a little bit of that's in my blood, but I did learn a great deal from that experience. Yeah. It sounds like a store that was really special, like people, like a destination people, it was unique and different from what everybody else had. Um, and she was sort of curating what was going to be in there and the feeling you got when you came in. So that's interesting. So, um, so then you went to the university of Kansas, um, you graduated in 1990 and, um, am I right that you studied glass blowing? I did. I started in, I mean, I was in fine arts throughout my four years and I originally went for their jewelry making program. Um, and then ended up finding, um, that I was interested in the glass and graduating with my emphasis in glass blowing. Wow. That's fascinating. That's a pretty Mm -hmm. rare emphasis. I feel like. Right. 
Yeah, and the program actually is no longer in existence at KU, but um, I I had some great teachers there. And really, you know, the, the most um, important piece of my time at KU, I think, was it just in the basic design, the beginning design classes is where I really had some great teachers, and um, and I think that gave me a nice basis to, to do what I'm doing again today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right out of college, you started in the Junction. You graduated in 1990. You started in the Junction in 1990, and um, at that time, your husband Bob was working with you. Is that right? He sort of helped out. He actually, I was not married at that oh, time. Oh, okay. Yeah, we didn't get married, and uh, I met him about uh, a year and a half out of college. Okay. So I originally started on my own. Um, I was fortunate because. The quilt market, which is our main trade show that we exhibit at to sell to the shops and retailers, was in Kansas City um, the spring following um, graduating. So I was able to exhibit and um, for and have a nice booth. I borrowed, you know, display merchandise from my mom's store. And I was able to launch at that local, you know, not have to travel and have all the travel expenses. So that's what really got the business off the ground quickly. And at that time, I was living on the plaza. I just had my apartment, you know, I had my business in my apartment. I was gluing photos on eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper and putting them in plastic bags myself and, you know, started kind of from the ground up. And then once I met my husband, um, he was in school to be a teacher at that time, and so he did join me in um, traveling to trade shows. We did everything from TNNA, which is the big needlework trade show, to um, CHA, um, which at that point was called HIA, um, the big craft and hobby show that's really where scrapbooking um, was a huge focus for years past. Um, so we did it. We worked to have worked together, um, ongoing and he still is involved with the business and helps me, but now he has his own career. Uh Um, and he did go teach for several years, um, which was a really great experience for him and, um, was a nice career. So what was your vision, right? You started this company Indigo Junction and, you know, right out of college and, what was your vision for it at that time? Was your what was the idea? Sort of what was the seed? Well, the seed really was that I thought I could help artisans market their work, and I knew that I had a base with a pattern business um, because my mother had, um, you know, had a patterns in her line that I could bring into my line, and then my hope was it would evolve into more of maybe being an artist agent. Um, but the pattern business, you know, really took off. And so that remained the, you know, focus of the business, but I always enjoyed, and that's really why I named it Indigo Junction. I didn't want to attach it to any particular, um, you know, category of products and, my original logo, I remember, was a handprint, um, and because I love the handmade artisans' work, and so, so where that's did, where. Where did the name Indigo? I mean, it's Indigo with a Y. Like, how did right. you come up with those two words? 
Well, I think Junction came from the fact that my mom's store was in Valley Junction, and I liked the idea of the Junction being kind of a meeting place. And honestly, Indigo, I think I saw a label or a something that had Indigo spelled that way, and I liked the way it sounded with Junction, and it was my favorite color, essentially, so I thought, why not Indigo Junction? Right. And... Um, that's, and I'm really, I feel fortunate that I ended up, you know, with that name, we haven't, we've been able to evolve the business in different directions because the name has been, um, you know, nondescript essentially. And what was your mom's role back then? So she, you know, you, she had these patterns she was carrying and you were able to, you know, find you know, sort of the distributor and bring those in? Is that how the, the first ones or the connections, you know, between herself and the design? Like how did, what was her role in that very beginning part? Well, she had really acquired a really wonderful creative community that taught classes in her store and um, created, you know, instructional material for projects for her store. Um, Patrick Lowe's, uh is a designer today who's does phenomenal work and he, started originally with Indigo Junction and through just visiting my mom's store and then we were introduced and, um, you know, progressed from there. So she, in the early days, was um, uh, helping me acquire artists and we worked, you know, either we would buy designs outright or we would license designs. And and she really continued to do that until... um, she closed her store uh, because she just, her store drew creative people and many times she would have the, um, she, the mind of, you know, a marketer and product developer and be able to pitch me ideas. And then I, you know, some of them I ran with, some of them I said, you know, no, I don't think that's going to fly. And then I was doing, you know, that on the side myself, but she was a wonderful resource. Yeah. And this is the days before the internet. So it was really hard to sort of find, you know, new people, new talent, new ideas. Like that was, a, it was just a slower pace and it was also a sort of a different sense of search and discovery too. Completely different. Um, I love what we have today. Uh, but at the same time, I feel fortunate I started when I did because I do think it's, it's a much more crowded market out there and um, challenging beyond those early years. Yeah. What was quilt market like in 1990? I guess well, that would that, have been 91 maybe. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was smaller. Um, there weren't the designers that we see today, the influence of the independents, um, independent designers like, um, you know, Amy Butler, Tula Pink. Right. Um, So, but at the same time, it was really the similar experience as far as, you know, you're seeing your retailers, you're seeing your mail order catalogs, you're um, networking with the press or PR opportunities. I, we did, you know, as far as like business being done, there was many, many more orders that were taken at the show. Now I feel like the trade shows are more of a a gallery experience where shops can come in and really get a nice overview of 
what's out there, but many times they, you know, take our newsletter and they take it home and they study it and then they end up ordering through a distributor. So many times we don't have that direct sale that we used to when we were at a quilt market. Yeah. I think that's sort of fascinating the way that the trade show has changed and sort of what role it, it might play in 10 years, you know, five years from now and, and the effect that Instagram and, you know, that all of the sort of instant, um, uh, sharing and previews and things like that has on the way business is done at a show. Yes. I think it's definitely evolving and, um, and we're trying to, you know, be sensitive to that and try to take advantage of that opportunity because the trade shows are so expensive, um, to do if you have to travel, you know, with airfare and, and shipping merchandise. And, um, so looking at opportunities that we can connect, you know, to the consumer online or to the business to business is, is definitely something that we're really paying attention to. Yeah. Like new ways to make it worthwhile Mm -hmm. to have that FaceTime. Yeah. And I do think it's worthwhile, but it's sort of being reinvented in a way. Um, sort of what you do there and what its purpose is right. sort of changing and shifting, which I'm kind of fascinated by. So, um, all right. So you describe Indigo Junction as a fabric arts publishing company, the goal of which is to showcase the talent of, you know, leading sewing and craft designers. And it's, it's really pretty amazing. I mean, it, it reminds me in some ways of like the big four in that, I mean, there's like hundreds and hundreds of patterns. If you look on the website and you just, you know, pick a category, bags, women's clothes, something like that. It's just like, you know, pages of, of patterns. And so, um, you know, it's, it's like really prolific and that's sort of interesting. I think the business model though, as an independent company, I feel like it's pretty unique. I was trying to, you know, find a comparable when I was researching for uh, our conversation and I was Mm -hmm. having a hard time identifying a comparable. And I wondered if you have one in mind, either within crafts or in another industry that sort of operates the way that you do. You know, I think we are unique. Um, Off the top of my head, I can't necessarily come up with somebody that is in the category. There might be more quilt-focused pattern companies out there that license. Um, pattern Peddler was one of them. That, but they did it in a different um, business model than we did because we actually license and publish. Um, they were more of a distributor of a variety of designers. And, you know, currently we've, we've kind of been evolving to where we're doing more in-house design ourselves um, because we have some, I have some wonderful people right now with amazing talent. And so we can come together as a team and develop patterns and ideas internally and then um, publish. But I'm always open to looking for, um, you know, talent that's out there that might be able to contribute to Indigo Junction's overall brand. But we, I th- do think we are unique in the fact that most, uh, many pattern companies are pretty much independently run by the designer. And I love, I mean, for me, the ability to 
as you mentioned, you know, be so prolific with, I have, I have a lot of ideas and things I want to do. So, um, orchestrating the team and then kind of architecting our product development is really my passion. So I just feel fortunate that it's worked, you know, for this long and, and, um, that's where we're at right now, but right. so you, right, this Indigo Junction was never about Amy Berkman's designs. That's just sort of not right. what the focus is. So if your focus is on product development, where you're scouting talent, you're working with designers, both licensed designers and in-house designers, to develop a product that will succeed in the marketplace, and then you're marketing that product, you're creating it, and then marketing right. it. Um, which is, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And, um, and I wondered what your goal is for the designers, the outside designers, um, say who work with you or have worked with you in the past is the goal there to launch them and launch their career sort of independently, sort of, we'll give you a start or is the goal to sort of have them be under the Indigo Junction umbrella and be kind of like part of your family ongoing, like what, or is it, does it vary? It probably varies a little bit. Um, you know, ultimately, if we invest in launching somebody, it's nice to have them hang around for a while um, because there is a lot to to investing in producing a pattern and working with a new artist. Um, and that, that is where I think the business model has, is um, shifting for us because of people's ability to self-publish now. Uh, and distribute, you know, e-patterns, uh, all these different ways at sea that you can sell your own PDFs and things like that. So we've really kind of turned a corner to getting a better balance between, you know, what we produce in-house, um, versus what we license with outside designers. So we're not in the position where we've invested um, completely in somebody else's brand, but instead focus on Indigo Junction. Um, and that's really to where you'll see our logo sometimes as just Indigo Junction, and then you'll see our logo Indigo Junction by Amy Berrickman. Um, so that's a branding strategy to make sure we connect the dots between um, Amy Berrickman and Indigo Junction and that connection and make sure there's understanding in the market kind of that, you know, I may not be sewing and making the patterns, but we're, you know, I'm kind of architecting what's happening with our, our design. Uh-huh. So in order to sort of pull it closer. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that, go ahead. Well, that really happened when Vintage Notions, the book, um, I decided I was going to undertake self-publishing that. And I worked with a business consultant, and he really suggested that I come out from behind the Indigo Junction brand and establish myself as you know, a personality in the industry. Yeah. I, I actually, I do think it helps. It's interesting. Um, you know, people can argue back and forth, and, um, and I do think that it helps to have a face. Um, and a a name and a story. And I don't know whether that always was the case, but I think now in a situation where people are connecting one-on-one with designers so often online and they feel like they know Tula Pink, you know, they feel like they know Heather Bailey, they're, um, they're sort of connecting with their stories, their lives, that they, they do want that, you know, they have that desire to connect with you and see you. Um, 
So I think it was wise. <laughs> I think you. No, I'm, and I'm glad that when we did, you know, um, because I think if we would have waited much longer, it would have been more and more challenging to establish that community that might follow the Amy Berkman brand as well as the Indigo Junction brand. Right, right. Okay, so the the artist that you license, is that kind of like an advance and then royalties? Is that the, the way that those deals work? Usually that's, yes, that's what we do. Right, um, okay. So they have something up front and then, you know, if the pattern really um, is popular, there's residual benefits. Right. Um, Okay. Interesting. And, um, and do your designers ever come to quilt market with you? I mean, besides the in-house, your in-house team, but. Right. Um, yes. Marianne Donzi, um, she is a extremely talented part of our team that, and has designed with me for probably over 15 years. Um, and she has come to shows in the past. It's getting more and more challenging because of the costs of the shows. Uh, So, when we can, when we can make it work and we have the ability, we try to do that. Okay. And tell me about Betsy Blodgett. Cause I feel like everywhere you are, she's there. She seems uh-huh. like your, um, sort of right hand woman. And I wonder how you met her and, um, and what she works on now. Yes. Betsy is a special part of our team. And so Originally, I met Betsy when she had a store in Westport, which is a little community, um, little area in Kansas City. And she taught sewing classes in her store. She carried wonderful fabrics. Um, she also had interesting, you know, gifts and books. And I just loved her aesthetic and her style. And so she eventually, and she owned the store with her sister, they eventually closed the store. And, um, at that time I was looking for someone to come in and, and really assist me, uh, with product development as well as social media. I, so I had known Betsy and then visited, um, and we worked out her coming on board at Indigo Junction. So she does a variety of, you know, things with me. We work together on blog posts. We, uh, she does a lot of the acquisition or most of the acquisition. She'll bring the suggestions for fabric lines that we feature on our pattern covers. So she works with the, um, fabric companies and their marketing team, uh, as far as, Social media, she's doing out there finding great posts to share and uh, information and stories and articles for me. So um, she's um, has also worked with me. We're working on some videos. And so I think we're going to do some videos where we team up together. And then also um, she'll probably end up doing some Indigo Junction videos on techniques for us. And uh, beyond that, we'll just see where things go in a small, you know, in a business, our size, it's everybody pitches in and, and I have Cheryl here who's behind the scenes and she's been, she's an amazing, um, person to work with too. I've been, I've been, I'm really feeling like I've been blessed with some wonderful talent and just nice, nice people to work with. Mary Meyer is another one of our team members that, has a, a wonderful history in sewing. She used to be a teacher at a local community college, and then she had her own pattern company back when I started Indigo Junction. Uh, so I think for me, um, having those team members that are 
that really know their stuff has, has been incredibly beneficial to the brand. Yeah, um, totally. I, I feel like, um, being able to have someone who can be almost like a second you, in other words, who has mm-hmm. this talent, the skills, the knowledge, understanding the vision, um, it's just such a gift, you know, because you're, you're more than twice as productive when there's two of you. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, so just with two is, is amazing, but to have several others is awesome. Um, okay. So what I think is, uh, really unique about Indigo Junction beyond sort of finding new talent to bring in and license is that you're also finding old talent. Um, so you are a huge collector, collector of vintage things, vintage sewing related things. And you've done a lot of work, um, bringing back out of print media related to sewing, whether it's through republishing or reworking vintage patterns or scouring home economics newsletters from the early 1900s for the best content and then publishing it again, or, um, you know, using vintage prints as as inspiration for a fabric collection. And I wonder, um, first, where do you go to collect what, you know, your collection, I'm betting that it continually grows. So where are you, where are you looking well, eBay is a wonderful source for me because I can actually, for instance, my Vintage Notions book was based on the Women's Institute and Mary Brooks Pickens' work. And so I can um, key in a search. So every day in my email, I see new eBay, I, eBay items listed from from those search keywords. So that's an easy um, way to collect. I've also, of course, traveled to flea markets, antique shows, um, some of my favorite venues. I've been to Round Top a couple times in Texas, and that's a wonderful show to go to. Also, the country living fairs have some amazing um, vintage content as well as new designers. So those are my main sources. And, you know, as far as the, the women's Institute material, my archive is, is very, very deep in, and I think, um, I'm trying to acquire their entire course and all their publications. And there is without the internet and eBay, there would have been no way for me to, to be able to do that. So, you know, that's a huge, opportunity um, as far as if I find a particular illustrator or a particular author and I can, you know, acquire their collection of bot or body of work pretty quickly through eBay. So why did you feel like you wanted to self-publish Vintage Notions? Was it because a bigger publishing company just wouldn't be interested in a niche idea like that? Or was there another reason? Well, it was probably twofold. Uh, I was not, I was so inspired and excited about this material that I had a hard time being patient. And if sometimes, um, you have to be very patient when you're waiting for proposals to be reviewed, um, at different book companies. So, and I, you know, in hindsight, yes, I think I was turned down by several publishers. I can't remember exactly the progression, 
So then I was thinking more about the content and how I wanted to have control of the content. Um, so it was a strategic decision in self-publishing. So as I wanted to continue to evolve the content, I wanted to not be, you know, having to answer probably to somebody else's um, plan and I could drive that plan myself. I, taking on the marketing too, I really um, loved, I love developing the marketing in addition to the product. And so in doing that um, self-publishing, I, I was able to, you know, schedule my book tour. I went to Country Living Fair and talked to them and they had me come in and present and I was able to work with retailers that were there and and get the book in the right places, I felt. Um, not to say that I don't think um, it would have been, you know, in, in hindsight, what would have been like if I would have been patient and found a publisher for it. I don't think it would be the same book. Do you want to um, just tell us for people who haven't seen it, what Vintage Notions is about? Sure, sure. So the book is um, a collection of writings and wisdom, recipes, patterns, um, essays from the Women's Institute of Domestic Arts and Sciences, which was founded in 1916. Um, An inspirational guide to cooking, sewing, needlework, fashion, and fun is the subtitle. And it's month by month, so it's kind of a domestic devotional and... um, I was able to use my vintage fabric collection and embroidery collection, scan those, some of my favorite pieces, and then layer those on the pages with illustrations from the Women's Institute. And then I wrote essays to companion um, Mary Brooks Pickens essays at the beginning of each chapter or month. So it's, it's not a craft how-to book. It's much more of a copy table inspirational book. And so I think that's what uh, publishers struggled with too. Where does this book fit? And many times, um, that's a key, you know, factor for them is being able to know that, okay, when we sell this book to, um, you know, whatever chain store we want to get it into that we know the, the, this is going to go to the quilting buyer or is it going to go to the sewing buyer or, you know, where is it going to fit? And this book was a, just kind of a, a little bit of an anomaly. So I think that made it challenging for publishers. Yeah. And I mean, if anyone is equipped to self-publish, I feel like it's you, like you've been pub- in the publishing industry for a long time, especially in craft and sewing and certainly in marketing, you know, you know what it takes, you've got the connections. Um, so, you know, you were going to have a pretty high chance of success, but be that as it may, self publishing a book is different, right? And then self-publishing patterns for sure. So did you, did you use, um, Amazon create space or did you have a different, so did you use a local press or how did you work on that part? Well, I was fortunate that we have, um, Andrews McNeil publishing here in Kansas city and Jean Lowe, who was there for many years and launched the Mary Englebright imprint there, worked with me on this book. So she had the connections, um, you know, for sourcing the printing overseas. So it was published, um, 
overseas. And she also, because this book really appealed and was more of a trade title than a um, crafting title. So it was really um, important that I had some consultation that that knew that side of the business who's Baker and Taylor and they're the you know the fulfillment for all the libraries um so and they also do a large amount of distribution but prior to vintage notions I had never had to work with Baker and Taylor um so it was new frontier for me and I was very fortunate to have her there by my side through the process. So I really appreciate, you know, what she was able to do to help me through that, that journey. And then I have, you know, I did have some wonderful designers help me with it and, and who had the shared the love of the vintage that I do. And so, um, it was a pretty unique experience. Um, and I feel fortunate to have been on that journey um, I'm not sure that I'd I'd want to undertake it again, self-publishing, but I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. Yeah, because it gave you the opportunity to get this idea out into the world, mm-hmm. which was really important. Um, so we were just talking earlier about Quilt Market. You not only go to Quilt Market, but you actually go to quite a few other trade shows. Um, you go to or have been recently to the Sewing and Stitchery Expo, the original Sewing and Quilt Expo. And I feel like um, I feel like a lot of people go to those shows, but we, we hear so much about Quilt Market. And we ne- almost never hear or see photos of these other shows. I'm not sure why that is, and maybe you can shed some light on why and sort of what is unique about these other shows, these other trade shows that we are not seeing or don't know yet. Okay. Well, I think with, first of all, Quilt Market is the business to business show. So, you know, it's a completely different kind of show visually. It's incredibly beautiful, talented, talent everywhere, just creating amazing displays. So, and those designers and um, retailers are all about promoting their business and sharing. So then you turn the table to, for instance, um, an original sewing and quilting show. And those are, you know, consumer shows. So the booths in those shows are very much oriented to selling merchandise versus selling design and product that is, you know, branded for a specific booth. And so that's why I think you don't see the visuals that you do from Quilt Market. Quilt Market just um, has a completely different vibe. Uh, And I think, you know, at some point they're beautiful you know, quilt shows at the original sewing expos that I was at, they had, and then I was at, you know, QuiltCon, I think was kind of probably breaking the, breaking that barrier because that show just had so much um, excitement and so many, just a wonderful exhibit of quilts. Um, but all in all, I really think the quilt market is a much more um, visual show than these other shows. Okay. And, and it was always that way. Am I right? Right. When you were there way back in the day, um, before social media, before the internet, um, it was always that way. It was always about sort of beauty. And so it lends itself so well 
to Instagram, right? Right. Like it's, totally. It's, it's like the totally. perfect match, even though um, it's not for consumers, whereas these other shows are for consumers. And so more, you would think more people would be there and be able to share it. Right. But it's less shareable. I think so. And I think, you know, as a consumer, you're not as much about, you're going there for your own benefit, not the benefit of sharing it with, say, your guild or your followers that you have. You're more about, you know, fulfilling for your, your independent creativity where at Quilt Market, it's all about, you know, sharing and, and promoting and, and getting the word out. Right, right, right. So, yeah, and I feel like it's you have a really unique perspective because you've been you've been doing this for 25 years and this happened to be a 25 years in which media has changed drastically. So, you know, from 1990 to 2015, you know, I, I can't imagine a time in which media has changed more. Right. Um, and so, I just wonder if you have any sort of reflections or thoughts about about that, about having to sort of stay on top of things and not feeling as though, well, everybody's lapping me. And so, you know, but instead being right. exci- continuing to be excited, you're embracing YouTube, you're on right. social media, you're doing digital patterns, you know, you're bringing things in house and becoming more of a personality of Amy behind Indigo Junction. Like you're making these moves to sort of stay abreast. And I think that's really admirable and something that a lot of people sort of instead pull back and say, well, everything's changing and I can't do this anymore. Right. Well, you know, I think I was lucky to start so young. So that, and you know, I had all that energy and was fearless back when I launched Indigo Junction. Um, So I think that's helped with the longevity. I do, um, and I, I am, you know, uh, what feeds me is, is the challenge too, and the, um, doing something different and new. And so I think really the evolution or revolution that we've had technologically, um, that's affected our industry has probably, um, kept me in it because, um, it's like new frontier. And I will say though, that, um, you know, it is, it's challenging in a way um, that you never feel like maybe you're doing as good of a job as you should be, um, and it's hard not to go out there and compare what you're doing to others, what others are doing, and 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 not feel like um, I don't know that constantly there's opportunities that pop up that you're like, Oh, wait a minute. How do we do, you know, Snapchat, Snapchat? What, what should we be doing there? It's, it's much more, um, intense than it was when I started and through the early years. And it's a lot more as far as requirement for like the, I wouldn't be able to do all the things I'm doing without my staff. And, um, that, you know, it's, it's really, though the whole, the reason we're doing all this is survival. Um, you know, it, today's world, I think it's really required. You don't have a choice whether or not you want to, you know, get into social media or think about video content. Um, so 
Yeah. And you do a great job. I mean, I just want to say you do a great job with it. Like I watched your video at, um, you launched, I think 31 patterns at market, um, and pleasure fabric line. And, um, and you did a, a video with Alex Anderson, I believe. And she was talking to you about, you know, so oh, yeah. Yeah. showing off some of the new, yeah. um, samples from some of the patterns Fabulous. and you just, you know, you have that poise in front of the camera, you feel comfortable, you, I don't know. I think that, um, not all of us can do that, but you, you've embraced it and you're doing it and you're doing it really nicely. So kudos well, to you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. I yeah. do. It's, um, I'm learning though. I'll tell you, um, the video side of it is, um, cha- you know, you just have to change your mindset and really, you know, put yourself out there if you're, if you're going to do this. And, and so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's admirable. So, um, so, uh, I know your, your family, uh, your parents grew up in Michigan you have a, a family home on the Torch River. Are you going to get some time there this summer? I am. I am leaving soon for, um, some time up there and I cannot wait. It's my, um, where I go to, you know, re reignite my creative, creative spirit and spend time with my family, um, and I've been going up there since I was a child. So it's a really special place to, to my, to me and now my kids and, um, my husband. And so I'm, yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to be a nice break. So I'll, I'll put some pictures out on Instagram out on my paddleboard and, uh, <laughs> that sounds terrific. <laughs> and Jared, you have a kid, a child in high school and one in middle school. So mm-hmm. they'll be coming mm-hmm. up with you and spending mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, when you're, when you work from your home, um, that can get challenging with your family. So this is our sabbatical that, that we take. That's, um, it's really nice to be able to do that. Yeah. And was it hard to work from home when they were little? I mean, did you, how did you balance that? I mean, now they're a little older, they can kind of work for themselves, but, um, but when they were little and you had, you know, two little kids and had this really incredible business, I mean, what, what was that like? It was challenging. I was fortunate. I would, you know, had some, I'd bring in and have babysitters, nannies come to the house. Um, so it was always nice to be close to them, but there were, you know, challenges at different points, but all in all it, it worked out. I was lucky here in Kansas city. We have like parents stay out, which happens at local churches, you know, a few days a week, they could go to a little program like that. And I had family in town. Um, my husband's family is here in Kansas city. So they helped out. So it really was, um, the, it takes a village model. And then we'd even though Jack and Emma came to, uh, you know, quilt market. And I remember we dressed up Jack in his Halloween costume in our hotel room, um, when quilt market was in Houston in the fall. So they've lived it with me and, um, have been very supportive. So I'm pretty, I feel very blessed. Do you have any hopes of it being a family business? I mean, in some ways you, you had a family business with your mom in a certain way, even though it's not, you know, the same business, but there was a connecting thread there for sure. And she's still very involved. I mean, she was at quilt market modeling, uh, with right next to you and she comes to all the shows. So do you think, I mean, what do you think, Jack and Emma, they're going to well, up or no? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, 
Emma, I think there's opportunity, but I will totally, whatever they want to do that makes them happy will make me happy. I, I feel fortunate to have worked with my mom so long and, you know, the time we get together when we're at trade shows and, um, traveling to on research trips or whatever we might do together related to the business. It's fun to have that connection. Um, and I think, you know, that may happen, um, with my daughter, but I'm, I'm, I do see the challenges of owning a business and today. And, um, you know, I would be very cautious to, to push or, um, that in them in any direction like that, just cause I think it's, it is very challenging. Yeah. Um, it's probably well, a lot more than I, when I started, it's all consuming for sure. Mm-hmm, you know, there's right. never a time in which you put it down. I mean, it's really hard yeah. to put it down. Um, so yeah, I can tell that I can see that that would be hard, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yes. um, all right. So tell us about, um, before we get to your recommendations, tell us about, um, what's coming up for you and what's coming up for Indigo Junction that we can get excited about. Well, we are a couple things. We have our new fabric line out with RJR, the vintage made modern line. So we're going to be doing a lot to promote that. Um, it launches in September and we'll probably do a big giveaway, um, and then maybe some possibility of a blog tour coming up um, related to it. We're also doing some video work. Um, we recently redid an area in the office so we could actually set up and film videos. So those will be launching on the Indigo channel and the Amy Berkman channel soon. I'm really excited about getting those up and, and seeing what kind of traction we can get, um, with those. And we're looking at a couple different kinds, some that are more viral focused, um, a lot with recircle, repurposing and recycling. Um, and then, you know, we'll be working towards, um, product development. We're really, you know, focused on, you know, we have the patterns we did for market and those are releasing that those should be all up on our website by the end of July. And then we'll move right into some new development. I probably won't be traveling as much. Um, well, I won't be traveling as much this fall, last fall and through the spring, I, I had a heavy schedule. And so I'm looking forward to a little break there, but we're hoping we can, you know, make up for, for it with video work that we can share more of our story, um, through that. And it is the hundredth anniversary of the women's Institute in 2016. Um, so we're looking at the potential for some opportunities, um, to feature more about that story. And, um, so that's kind of, it, we're in, we're in talks to, to get something going. That'll be pretty exciting. So, people follow us, we'll, we'll keep you posted on what's new. That sounds terrific. Is there, just out of curiosity, are you like the only person who's like really championing, championing the women's institute or is there, is there like a society or a group or a foundation or something that's also sort of supporting that, that you're working in conjunction with? I'm just curious if like, you're like the leading expert now, or if there's another group that's doing this too. No, there isn't another group. Um, it's really, I found it. I do know, um, and I 
don't have the name, her name on the tip of my tongue. There is a, uh, the Costume Society of America has a annual meeting and I happened, it happened to be in Kansas City and there was actually a woman who is at Kent State that was lecturing on the Women's Institute and Mary Brooks Picken. Wow. And a few years ago I went to meet her. Really incredible, um, you know, professor and she shared that passion for for this content that I did she was working on an autobiography uh, of Mary Brooks Pickens so I keep in touch with her um, and can't and looking forward to when that book comes out because I think there'll be more of the story yeah um, that she uh, she interviewed um, Mary's sister or eight, or niece before this woman had passed away. So, um, but other than that, there is a women's Institute in the UK that's still in existence. Uh The women's Institute for that. My content and my um, book was based on is M a N the women's Institute, um, over in England is E N W. So, um, so I've talked actually to some stores over, um, about, you know, coming to maybe do lecturing on the American Women's Institute mm-hmm. and lecture and share with the Women's Institute that's still in existence over there that's yeah. very active. So that's a neat um Yeah. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's like there's a little bit of a historian in you. So <laughs> that's really interesting. Oh yeah. Um all right. So let's get to your um recommendations and I, I have uh one recommendation as well. So we're gonna start with Olo Clip. So tell us about that. So the Olo Clip is a um lens for my iPhone that has like a fisheye lens, a wide angle, and then a macro couple macro lenses and I had been considering, um, a GoPro to take, um, and do some filming up in, up North in Michigan. Um, but I ended up going with the more, um, affordable tool. So I, again, hopefully I'll, I'll get more experience with it when I'm up, um, capturing images of, of nature and, and the lake and, and things like that. So that's my new toy for for the next few weeks to play with. Yeah, so it, it clips onto an iPhone. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And yep. it can make like a wide angle lens. It can make like a fisheye. And then it can make a macro. Are those mm-hmm. the three? They're like little mm-hmm. lenses that flip. And they're, and they're really powerful. So yeah. they transform your iPhone into something much more much more interesting of mm-hmm. the visuals you can take my in fact my daughter and I were playing it last with it last night taking pictures of flowers and mm-hmm. um I had and I went I actually wished I'd had it the week before my husband and I went to the Rolling Stones concert and I was like oh this would have been awesome for that concert but yeah totally so I, and do you remember how much first of all I love that they use sign language in their little like promo video yes. um, uh-huh. which is really cool because their whole point is that like um you know images are speak louder than words. words. Um, I just wonder how much it costs. Do you it was, um, I bought it for, I think it was sixty nine ninety nine, okay. and I bought it at a little camera shop and I th- think it's about the same on Amazon. Okay. 
All right, cool. So that's a good one to know about if you're mm-hmm. interested in sort of souping up your iPhone camera yeah. to take some cooler For pictures. The summer. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it does obviously the the quality of those photos. If you if if you are sharing them. Uh, it does really matter. So mm-hmm. having uh, a way to make a really awesome photo that's going to be attention getting, besides being fun for you, it does it can pay off in the long run mm-hmm. as far as your phone. Uh, yes, if you want to use it that way. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about a, a pretty cool uh, website project that I found called Project Adelaide, and um, so these are two artists who live in Adelaide, Australia, um, Kate Mason and Zoe Ingram. And they take, they draw um, parts of Adelaide that are like hidden gems. And they each draw um, their own versions of the same, you know, topic. And then they post them and they post them on Instagram. Their Instagram feed is absolutely beautiful. It's called Project Adelaide if you want to follow it. And so right now, like they're doing um, animals and it's just so charming. They have, um, they each drew two pandas and you see like their style left and right, you know, so they're like Mm -hmm. side by side um, within one image. And they did monkeys and uh, leopards and zebras. And so it's like a daily drawing practice basically. Um, and it's just, you know, highlighting hidden parts of where they live. And it is so charming and such a good use of Instagram and such a good way to get to know the style of two different artists who are drawing the same thing on the same day and often, you know, quite differently, but sometimes strikingly similarly. And they did flowers, um, which was like a beautiful series. I I think it's like a monthly theme. So yeah, if you look at it, um, they did food, uh, it's just lovely. You know, it's just one of those things that's like every day it's lovely. So <laughs> I like that sounds like wonderful. It. Yeah, it is really cool. So, um, project Adelaide, okay. they have a website too. They're on Facebook. They're doing it all, all different places, but, um, but I think it lends itself especially well to Instagram. So, um, so that's my, my recommendation. Um, and then you had, one more that you wanted um, to talk about, which is um, Talk Like Ted, or was that what, by Carmen yes. Gallo? You know, I, it's just a book that I'm reading. Um, I just thought it was a really great book to help anyone who's thinking of, of lecturing and presenting in front of whatever size group. I So I've been reading it because... I really want, you know, one of my goals or, you know, where I think I can improve is, um, is presentation. And I do lecture and really enjoy lecturing on, you know, for instance, the Vintage Notions book, or I've also lectured on crafting a creative business. And so this book is just, you know, words of wisdom, examples of successes, um, that have happened that are related to the Ted talks and, um, just, so it's, it's been fun to, to kind of set a goal to, to improve in that. Yeah, it look. I just bought it. Skill. Um, I just bought it while you were talking because it looks fantastic. And I, um, I'm actually going to be I'm, I'm going to be the keynote speaker at a conference in February and, um, I haven't, it well, congratulations. Been yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, and I have another, uh, speaking engagement right prior to that. So there'll be two back to back. 
Um, one of them is local here and then one of them's I have to travel for. And, um, I, yeah, that is not my, you know, uh, area of expertise. Like I think it's really cool and exciting, but I've got a lot to learn. So, um, it's that book sounds like exactly perfect for me right now. Good. I was just saying to my husband last night, I need to watch some more Ted talks. So I can climb yeah. out of this. So yeah. that's super. Thank you. Um, well, that's exciting that you're doing some lecturing too. Yeah. Yeah cool. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. I always got to look, look forward. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, well, Amy, it's been great talking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. Well, thank you. I love these podcasts, so I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, good. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.